This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. And with me today, he's reviewing his notes for this show, for this program. It is Hans. Hans, how are we doing this evening? Uh, I like your headphones, though. They look like they're from 1993, 1994. Is that a Walkman you have in your pocket? (laughs) I had to use my work headset because my Bluetooth decided to not... That's a very tight red cord coming from your headphones right now. It looks like it could unplug at any second. How short of a cord is that? Well, it's it's all tangled and shit. I'm just making a mess over here. It's tangled, but it's fine. I have enough. I mean, it's not like I'm going to go anywhere. You know? Okay. All good. right. Well, we're yeah. we're talking about a new movie, and it's a, not that new of a movie. It's been out in theaters for about, what, two, three months? It's the one movie that is getting a lot of praise that I did not get to see before releasing my 10 best films of 2023 list. And I will say this right off the top, that list does not need to be revised. So we're talking about poor things. We're talking about Yorgos Lanthimos' poor things tonight. And this is the first film of his that we're covering for the show. I'm fairly certain. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and my list is also not going to be revised because this is going to qualify as a 2024 movie for me since I saw it this year. So. That doesn't make sense. No, and that's not how this. that works. That's <laughs> Unless it was released in Costa Rica January 1st or later. That's not how that works. Okay. It was released here, what, a week ago, I think? Are you sure it wasn't released in your neighborhood a week ago? No, I went to a different theater. I went to this old theater that they have where they have like a second floor and it's like balcony seats and whatever. Uh, by the way, um, I don't know if this is a Costa Rican thing because my girlfriend complains about it all the time when she's like on a bus or something and there's seats everywhere and someone comes and sits right next to you for no reason at all. That happened to me in this movie. It was empty at first. It ended up getting full by uh, when the movie actually started, but we got there like 20 minutes before and uh, a couple just came and sat right next to me. And I was like, there's five people here in like 200 seats or whatever. And I, and uh, I just, it's, it, it uh, took a lot of effort to keep it together and not just be like, are you fucking serious? <laughs> are you willing to fucking move? What are you doing? That uh, that happens. Yeah. That that will happen from time to time. I know during The Flash, I don't think this guy even bought a ticket to The Flash. I had, there was a black dude playing with his phone who came up and sat next to me right in the middle of the movie and then got up and left after about 10 minutes. That's That's the last time anything like that has happened. And that was The Flash. And that was a pretty packed movie, so it was kind of circumstance at the time, I'm assuming. I'm assuming he wasn't trying to, like, you know, hit on me or something. He wasn't trying to, like, show me a dick (laughs) photo on his phone covertly. But, no, I mean, in in most theaters in the United States today, or at least on the East Coast and the Northeast, you have to book your seats ahead of time. So you go, oh, I'm booking E9 and 10 for this showing. So you have to do that. So that doesn't really happen that often. Yeah, that uh, that's how it usually is in those cineplexes here. But since that's an old theater, when I bought the tickets, it was just like, oh, because this is a classic theater. You don't get to like your seat. I was like, oh. That's Were they serving coconuts up, to you? Or... Do they give you gin and coconut? That's the Costa Rican equivalent to popcorn and soda pop. No, but, no, but the pop, popcorn and dirt. No, but the popcorn uh, was way smaller. Like their big size was like a, like an American small. And I was like, I don't want to fucking spend money on two or three of them. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was like, like this big. Wow. And you know how American popcorn is. Of like, course. An American popcorn big. small is about the size of this Dunkin' Donuts cup in my hand. And that's not yeah. an exaggeration. I got, so was a little, yeah. I got a Marvel's cup at my go around and they gave me a little cute disney wish i think the movie was bucket of popcorn it was like an easter bucket that you would carry eggs where is it let's see it i know you have it right there it's in the fucking garbage is where it is hans i didn't take that back with me i was deeply ashamed i thought this was a humiliation tactic from the black woman who handed me those things so uh you know you're supposed to be skipping home with your little witch bucket at the end of the movie yeah I'm sure I'm sure that would that would go over great in this neighborhood. Uh, so 
anyway, I, you know, the one time I did want a collectible cup from the movie theater, I almost uh, soyed out here. I, I wanted to get the Michael Keaton cup for the Flash. And then they were like, it's, it's $20 to get that cup. Oof. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? $20 to get this special commemorative Flash cup? Absolutely not. But boy, like you're already spending You're already spending, what, like 40 bucks in just the movie and popcorn? And... Yeah, I mean, and uh, there's no circumstance in which that makes any sense, especially since you wait a week. They're going to have the cups left over. They're just going to yeah. give you... I'm sure that Marvel's cup that I was given... They were probably pulling the same shit opening day. You you get to pay thirteen extra dollars to get Miss Marvel on your cup, and now it's just free. Now nobody wants it, so it's just junk. I know Jerry. Jerry posted he got flash cups or something in our group chat. And I was like, damn. I I I for a half second I considered paying twenty dollars for that. You just got it for free. Yeah, you can pay him twenty dollars to send it to you. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I mean, I guess if if I if I were to give my twenty dollars to someone, it would I'd rather it go into Jerry's hand than whoever yeah. runs Regal or AMC or one of these theaters. Anyway, the uh, the the screening did not cost that much money. It was only thirteen dollars. They gave me the matinee price because the movie's pretty old now. So Jesus. I I think this was no, this was not the first Yorgos Lanthimos movie I I've seen in the theater. I paid five dollars. That's how much our tickets are here. Yeah, but your theater probably has roaches and mosquitoes in it. So no, no, no. This is no like a fancy part of the city, and by that, you know, give it give an equivalent to what fancy in Costa Rica means. Is that what like what would be a, a similar city in the United States well, that would well, match it's that? A, it's in a very gentrified area that has a lot of new restaurants and bars that have been opened by, I'm sure, uh, non-Costa Rican money. So it's actually one of the few very clean, very well-preserved areas. Um, I don't know. Did we go? I went to a theater in New York, and it was very shitty with a very tiny uh, room where I saw that Blair Witch remake, and I wanted to throw up like 20 minutes in because the screen was so close to me that I got motion sickness immediately and I was just drooling onto my popcorn because oh <laughs> I wanted to throw up. <laughs> I, was, I was alone, thankfully, because it was like at 2 p.m. But yeah, that's definitely not a movie that you see in a small theater uh, because, yeah, the motion sickness, I, I couldn't... It was like I was watching Doom again, uh, playing Doom again, which I could never play when I was a child because I would just get dizzy. Video video games would make you dizzy as a child. You were like one of those Pokemon yeah. kids that would get a seizure from sitting too no. close to the television. You know, I there's no, a list a that's out thing. there of all these New York theaters where they tell you wear very thick socks because there are bed bugs in this theater. And now <laughs> I've been to a couple of those theaters. I didn't realize the AMC in Times Square, but this makes plenty of sense. AMC in Times Square, of course. Of course there's bed bugs there. Of course the it's worst the, things imaginable are there. I think that might have been the one that I went to. Uh, I think it was. I think you had said that before, and, and that's why that came to mind just now, that it was the AMC in Times Square. It was definitely an AMC, and it was close to the village. Is that... No, I, 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 I probably not. There's probably a little bit of room in there for other theaters. But anyway... Poor thing. I mean, what do you think about Yorgos Lanthimos? Uh, I like him. I like his weird movies. I like how he has his own style and way of making movies. And uh, I know that he, well, I don't know. I think he doesn't write his movies. Uh, but there's something about the way that characters in his movies communicate that I find it to be really funny, but it's not in like a conventional funny way. But the worlds that he creates within his movies kind of work for them to have like a weird way of talking to each other. I mean, this one, obviously, because she, well, she didn't know how to speak for most of the movie. But and everyone else also had like a weird inflection in their voice or like a weird accent or uh, uh, a different, I guess, way of speaking. But I feel like the movies that I've seen, like The Lobster and uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer, uh, I don't want to say Duck Tooth because I believe it's in, it's in, I think it might be Finnish or Icelandic or whatever language. Duck Tooth is, I think, no, all those movies are Greek, aren't they? Oh, is it Greek? 
Yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, he's Greek. He came from Greece, and then he moved to London, and then he started doing English language films with the Lobster onward. Right, Greek. Yeah. Okay. Well, whatever. With one of us, <laughs> very close to Finland. Come on, Loris. Of um, course, geography. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's something about the way that his characters communicate that I find very humorous, uh, even though it's not you know conventional setup joke or. Uh, even when when they say creepy, marvelly style like things, for whatever reason, they don't feel ironic. It just feels like, well, this is how this character speaks. So uh, there's there's a scene at the end of this movie with the general or whatever the guy from Girls is called. I don't remember his name. Uh, Christopher, uh, Christopher Abbott is the actor, and he plays. Yeah. So just to break down a quick synopsis of mm -hmm. this movie. Emma Stone's character is brought back to life by Willem Dafoe. His character's name is God. He's kind of like this mad scientist, early yeah. nine, uh, early 20th century, late 19th century doctor who uh, resurrects this woman, technically resurrects her, who is pregnant with a baby. She hops off a bridge, and what does he do? He puts the baby's brain into her head. So he yeah. brings her back to life through those means. And uh, he's essentially just educating her back into human existence. And you see her growth throughout the film as she quickly evolves into an adult woman who's very A sexually British. obsessed. Weirdly British. It's like, oh, once you become an adult and you live in Paris, all of a sudden you talk with a British accent. That was kind of weird now that I think about it instead of sounding French. Well, there's a lot of rhyme and, and reason in this movie that doesn't quite sync with any sort of reality. You know, yeah. yes, yeah. It's very heightened reality. And, I, you know, mm -hmm. you, you mentioned quippy Marvel dialogue. I think this is the only movie of his I've seen where there's a little bit of that, and it felt almost mm -hmm. like improvisation. And specifically oh. what I'm thinking about is when Emma Stone and uh, what's his name? He, he does the show Mark. Rami. No, not Mark oh. Ruffalo. Oh, the doctor, the other doctor, the one. That's, yes, the uh, junior doctor who's just a beta soy boy cuck. Uh, that character. Rami the, Yusuf. Rami Yusuf. I kept calling him Rami Malik in the theater. Yeah, it's, a, it's a different one. Yes, it's very different. Very different, actually. But uh, I, I felt like their exchange toward the end of the movie felt a little marvelly, felt a little improv in a sort of natural modern hollywood type way and not something that you would find from one of yorgos lanthimos's scripts so i i mean i i don't think the lobster killing of a sacred deer or the favorite have that element in place to it this one is maybe the most overtly comedic of those four movies yeah well i think all it all comes from the performance too right there's a line at the beginning that I think well, my girlfriend told me that I was the only one that laughed, uh, but I I was laughing when uh, when this Rami the character, Max McCandles, uh, go uh, meets her and then he goes, oh what a pretty retard. Yeah. I was yeah. not expecting that at all, and I just I just bursted out laughing. I, seems like I was the only one that laughed at that word uh, because there there was a lot of like funny lines and funny uh, jokes in this movie, but that. Right at the beginning, I think it happens within the first five minutes, uh, and I was like, "Okay, I can." All right, so they're already opening with that word, uh, and just saying it like that, very matter of factly. Uh, so I, uh, yeah, I prepared myself for a movie that was funnier than I was expecting, I guess. Yeah, I laughed quite a few times during this movie. I mean, I, I think he's a very, I, for, as far as like modern directors go, he's pretty funny. With his movie, a killing of a sacred deer, I thought was quite quite funny. Uh, the lobster definitely had some funny moments to it. The favorite is probably my least favorite of his recent films, and that's the one that garnered the most uh, a buzz, a buzz and acclaim around it. And it might be, I can I don't remember actually if that one's particularly humorous. It felt to me like mm -hmm. he was trying really hard to do a gender swap Barry Lyndon, and I don't. Oh. I don't think I took to that when I was watching it the first time. But this movie made me want to go back and watch those previous three and then his Greek films, which I have not watched any of them before, not even Dogtooth. Yeah, I don't think I ever saw the favorite. I think I, 
I I keep confusing that one with another movie that I also didn't see, which was that um that dress movie. Um, what is it called with um with uh there will be blood guy. I'm so bad with fucking names right now. Uh, with Michael J. Williams. No, what's his name? The actor with Mike, Michael J. Williams. Is that I don't even know. Michael K. Williams has Parkinson's. Yeah. Uh, you're thinking uh, uh, Phantom Thread. Danny D. Lewis. Yes, I yeah. confuse Phantom Thread with the favorite. I don't know why. I guess because of the dresses. I I didn't see either of them, so maybe that's why. Those I'm movies thinking. are nothing at all alike. It's different yeah. time periods. <laughs> uh, Phantom Thread stars a man. So, yeah, but that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, oh yeah, the favorite, the one with David uh, Daniel Day Lewis, and it's like, wait a second, no, that's not that's not it at all. I don't know why I confuse those two, but it's not the first time. Um, I don't think I ever saw the favorite, uh, but those two, Kill and Take the the Duster, are, are are humorous. I don't know if I would say they're comedies or or that funny. Dogtooth is just weird as fuck. Uh, so you get humor out of that, um, but it's it's also very there's some incest scenes and some weird uh sex stuff which you also get a lot of here uh, yeah i think that's seen... that's a component to a lot of his movies the only one that i feel was probably void of that was killing of a sacred deer that was more family oriented i suppose by default have you seen the outreach that apparently is going on on the internet someone mentioned this on the discord uh about how people are saying that uh this movie constitutes like child porn or like child abuse or sexual abuse or whatever. how i don't recall there even being a child in this movie i guess don't tell me they're making that out to be oh my god for fuck's sake it's fictional yeah it's fictional people it's i have i have i have heard that argument before not in a serious manner i didn't know people were actually arguing that let me see if i can find something on letterbox maybe which is where retards um get together to complain about things an adult woman acting developmentally challenged in a very heightened fictional reality of a film now constitutes child abuse you're telling me this yeah isn't that isn't that wonderful the time we're living <laughs> it's despicable yeah. it's i don't even want to i don't even want to entertain this subject i think i think this yeah. is very low vibrational shit that you're probably going to find in corners of x where people who's you know who act like it's 2019 2020 yeah reside and make those arguments yeah the so. world's about to the end just immerse yourself in this world that was created for you and laugh at the awkward sex that happens so much in this movie yeah what did you who, who did you have a particular favorite character in this movie i feel like everyone was fairly well developed they kept yeah. the the principal cast down like even uh was it margaret qualley yeah. who plays the replacement to emma stone even her character feels developed and she's not developed at all you know yeah i think everyone leaves an imprint within the film within the amount of time that they're allotted but i just want to know did you have a favorite character of this bunch because there are a lot well, of interesting ones weird willem dafoe is so good in this it's dr weird face well dr weird everything i guess because his mm. entire body is like falling apart which i can relate to uh <laughs> i guess i yeah i thought he was great that's another weird n not british but kind of british accent that he had throughout the movie and and he was just creepy looking throughout uh i really enjoyed him uh i liked mark ruffalo in it a lot which is I mean, I don't like him as a person, but I think... Yeah, he's somebody who I always... When I haven't seen him in a film for a while, I will mistake disliking him acting yeah. for disliking his public persona. And he he never really disappoints. I don't think I've ever disliked him in anything. He always surprises me. For, and I don't, again, I don't know why, because he's never given a bad performance, but... He's great in this movie, and I've seen so many guys turn into Mark Ruffalo's character in this film in the past. Every guy knows somebody who goes down that trajectory. Maybe you even go down that trajectory from time to time. Doesn't you know? I I know Kenny's been this guy several times in his life, in probably like the past two years. So yeah, when you start as the you know big 
speak. I don't want to. I don't even want to say the word because I've been criticized on our Discord too about how I say penis a lot. <laughs> it's like, what is he gay? And it's like, no, that's not why I say. People, it. hold on. People on the Discord are calling you gay. Yeah, they're saying we're gonna do a compilation about when Hans talks about penis. Oh, you know that the H word on on Twitter for his Twitter handle is for homo. Just like, all right getting roasted over here by people I don't I don't know who they are I just know their usernames and their their cartoon avatar I have no idea who's, who's doing that but yeah um uh yeah he's he he went all out and that's the thing that I I really enjoyed about this well one of the things that I really enjoyed about this movie that this world that's created for this character and everything that happens uh the way it's shot also helps and the set design which I really enjoyed in this because even though they were mentioning real cities, nothing looked like reality. Everything just looked like an exaggerated version of a place. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing actually looked like, uh, oh, they're in Paris. Let's show the Eiffel Tower, you know, what they always do just to show hey, it's Paris, see? Uh, or even when they're in London, I think you might see or I might have a misremembering, but you might see one of the phone, but not even, I don't think we even see any, anything that you would, you would immediately just think, oh, well, they're in London because of the phone booths, you know, uh, but they just say, well, we're going to Lisbon and it's a place that has a, a beach and uh, weird buildings and, and uh, the design of everything is very, uh, very like you're watching, I don't know, uh, uh, Coraline or like a like a stop motion animation type of world, but with real people in it. And I don't know how, I mean, a lot of it obviously was green screen because I can't imagine yeah. him building all those sets, but I really enjoy that part of it. Coraline is a great pull. Yeah, I think, I th yeah, I, I completely agree with you. There's a very clearly artificial nature to many of the scenes that are, used in this film as backdrops like when they're on the ship it looks completely artificial it's sort of embracing this early 20th century filmmaking idea of yeah. you want the heightened exaggerated version of whatever this location is and we're going to present a kind of flat version of it you never really explore the terrain too much it's always very confined and it feels like you're operating in these sets lisbon specifically maybe but then with the ship they never really deboard, you know, there's maybe mm -hmm. a dinner or two that happens off the ship or coffee and conversation and then looking down at a pit of people in despair, just starving in a hole. And, you know, it's uh, it's pretty limited in that regard. And you maybe get the most out of locations that are central to Europe, like France, when they go to Paris. And I guess, uh, you know, where it, it initially kicks off in... Um, I think it kicks off in England, right? I, I would have to assume. Yeah. So. Yeah, but but again, nothing looks like what you expect that place to look like. Because I think from when they go to Paris, what do we see? We see the brothel, and we see a couple the of exterior buildings. of the brothel. Yeah, Everything yeah, with, is within that. walking distance. Yeah. So this this world that she's uh, being introduced to is also very, what seems like very constrictive or very small. Uh, even though she's running away to different countries in, in Europe. Uh, but uh, yeah, that visual style, it really clicked with me. It, it just helps you with the, uh, becoming more immersed with the, the world that, and, and the reasons why it's not weird that everyone's acting weird. Mm -hmm. uh, and the fact that this adult that walks like a Rugrats character <laughs> It's, it's okay for everyone. Everyone's just fine with her walking like that, like a baby deer that's just learning how to walk. And, and the things she says are kind of weird, but nobody really thinks it's that weird. Everyone just, just thinks she's like a little strange. Uh, I'm, I'm remembering particularly on, a, on that dinner scene when she is told to just say three phrases and then she... I think she says delightful or something like that. Delightful. After. Well, she's first of all, she's very rude. Mar yeah. Here's here's a little background too. So the Emma Stone character, do you recall her character's name? I have it right here. Uh, okay, let's Bella Baxter. Bella Baxter. That's right. Mm -hmm. When Bella is about to get married to Max is the assistant who was played by Rami Youssef, right? Uh, Mark Ruffalo is brought in to officiate it. 
but then he decides to just explore around the premises and then he uh you know uh touches her vagina and then comes back late in the night like a smooth talking charmer that he is uh and steals her away and brings her to lisbon and he takes her out to dinner and she's obviously not fully mentally developed and she is rude at the dinner table naturally and so he reprimands her and tells her to say only three phrases delightful what was and what was the middle one uh it was two one word phrases and then how did they make the pastry so crisp yeah i don't remember but it was it was something positive it was like like saying isn't that lovely or something like that yeah uh and yeah going something completely benign but yeah needless to say that lends itself to numerous comedic moments the only actually real quick you had put out there on an earlier show who do we have today that's remotely like a tim burton and i think maybe yorgos lanthimos is starting to creep into that territory with these last few movies of his especially this one where there's an enhanced setting of some kind that is unnatural and you don't you don't get that too too often these days with directors there's not that thought out uh nature to things that does become an overlapping uniform or aesthetic to their filmmaking even with somebody like Ari Aster in Bo is Afraid you don't see that sort of uniformed uh you know backdrop throughout several of his movies it's just this new thing he's developed and it might just stay with that one movie we don't we don't know what will tumble into whatever next film he winds up directing but with Yorgos it, it seems like there's a touch of the favorite here but this is wholly unique to his english language films and i really loved the look of this movie the i, I don't think it's quite 4 by 3 maybe it starts out there and it expands and changes uh the stark black and white to technicolor and the especially the use of fisheye lenses with this movie makes it have a particular look that is unlike any other film that's been released in the last several years anyway yeah it kind of made me feel like the first time i watched the razorhead and i was like oh wait movies can look this different and i wasn't been aware of because i i wasn't familiar with any experimental movements from the 70s or or 80s uh and uh i i saw razor i saw it twice the first time i ever saw it i just played it again just because of how interesting i found all the visuals that he puts in that movie uh while watching this uh i wanted to see where the story was going not just because this, i found that the story was interesting but also because i wanted to see what else is going to do visually there's a lot of like you said fisheye lenses that just make a tiny space feel a lot bigger and it also adds to uh add to the dramatic of what's happening even if what's happening is not very dramatic mm-hmm. um the the scene that i'm thinking uh, of right now is the the scene where he's showing he's um he's doing like i don't do you ever see the nick that series uh the Soderbergh uh, the, series no i i haven't watched it yeah. okay so that that's about like doctors in the i want to say 1920s or 1800s uh and uh they have this um teaching class where the, where you have and i'm sure that still happens now but i don't know why i'm thinking of the nick where you have students surrounding a doctor uh on on like stadium seats and then the doctor is showing what he's doing those scenes uh because of the the use of of fishai even though i don't remember if he used fishai on the whole scene but the way that he shoots that uh adds a lot of of drama to what's happening which is not really that dramatic but but having the uh actors look down on him that way and then have that point of view uh added a lot to a, a couple of scenes that i don't think were even that important for the movie but that i think that's a, a really good example of how a simple change like that or just changing the look of that scene adds a lot to to something that you know might not a lot was happening uh did you feel it ever got a little too feminist a what i said did you feel that this movie ever got a little too feminist um i think when she was going through her let's call it early 
20s <laughs> mental state wise uh, which is when she gets to her brother her tumblr girl era yeah. of prostituting yeah. herself and yeah, yeah, with yeah, a yeah. black lesbian and then coming to certain realizations sure yeah but it it didn't bother me i don't i don't know i i, I thought it was just like a, a natural progression of her uh discovering things i guess because you see also that uh on the boat with with the old lady and your favorite actor jared carmichael uh when they're introducing her into like uh psychology terms and psychology theories and and i think that's when maybe that happens a little bit but i don't think it ever got that horrible where it made me i don't know roll my eyes or, or be like okay we we get you he okay. made me roll my eyes i thought why isn't this guy trying he should be so grateful that yorgos lanthimos put him in this movie and he has a real thing going on here and he can't be bothered to give any juice as an actor he he sounds like he's reading right off the fucking page like there's cue cards right behind the camera he sucked so bad in this yeah. movie and didn't belong in it. And uh, just to answer my own question, the feminist shit did not bother me at all. It, it didn't feel unearned or not without place in what this story was. And I think this movie is actually a good example of how having these elements in a movie is not necessarily inherently bad or annoying on its face if it's executed properly. You can make anything tolerable, palatable, entertaining, so long as you're delicately crafting it with patience and care. You know, I, I, I think that's the real takeaway of a movie like Poor Things, because it does feel like that's what, especially if it's being an allegory for the modern woman, or then that is exactly the mental trajectory these girls today go down. It makes sense. But I think the fact that it was also delivered by non-perfect characters helps with that. Because I think a lot of that talk was done by the um, the madam, is that what we call it? The older uh, prostitute. But then you see that she's a completely flawed character. So coming from her and not being presented as the holier-than-thou thing, I think, makes it, makes it a lot more palatable and more believable that is coming from someone like that as opposed to just having you know a very judgy very um you know i'm right and because of this and i'm everything i say is right and i'm perfect uh but instead whenever you hear dialogue like that uh from i'm thinking from her i'm thinking from the old lady on the boat these are all non-perfect characters so so whenever ideas like that are presented you kind of okay i'm willing to listen to you just because it's not being presented as like this perfect being is the one that's teaching you about this you know mm -hmm. it's more like look at where their life has gone and and i guess they got to this uh realization at some point and this is what they think but they're also going through something or have gone through something so it's it's more earned i think yeah no i i completely agree with you i think making whatever the viewpoint is that is prominent not infallible but something you can penetrate with logic or maybe rework in your head is like, well, maybe it's actually, you know, being a little critical of this thing here. I think that's really the key to putting any sort of message in a movie, maybe, is leaving room for the contrarians to pick apart something within the bounds of the film and not picking, the par picking apart the film itself. And I think this film does that very well. Um, anyway... So I, I wanted to address that. Nobody has, no one has really been talking about that too much, especially in our circle of things, is the, the feminist nature of the movie. It seems like a lot of people are glossing over that when they talk about this movie. I'm not talking about it as a negative or positive, as we just established here, but just as a, a thing that is very prominent in this story here. You know, it's, and it's, it, again, it, to what you were saying, I think it would be very different if... Bella was, you know, so enlightened and, uh, you know, avoided herself of making mistakes as she got older and mentally older, matured more in her head. And all these dummies, these male dummies around her were the only stooges, so to speak. But that's not the case at all. And even when he gets enlightened, I guess to use a word, uh, she still cares for those flawed people that hurt her like you know the person that turned you into 
Frankenstein is still someone that you care for, someone that you you've known your entire life, like your entire brain life, I guess. Uh, so even though what he did was horrible, uh, she still went back and like cared for him for the last couple of days that he had uh, and ended up, I guess, continuing his legacy. So it's not like she was just judging and then dismissing or judging and, well, you you did this or you've done that or you've said this thing. So I'm better than you now. So I can't even talk to you. No, it's, she's I mean, she's. She just went back and 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 treated them the same way, but understanding who they actually are, as opposed to just judging and dismissing. And I think that that added a lot to to her character that could have gone horribly wrong uh, if they did it the the opposite way. I think with this film, I've definitely cemented myself as a fan of Yorgos Lanthimos. I think with even even though I enjoyed the Lobster and Killing of a Sacred Deer in the Favorite, I think there was an aspect of me still being apprehensive of, okay, he's a modern director. Let's see if he can actually keep this up. And now with a fourth movie that has delivered a sense of quality, that is secured. And I think more so that there's a character to his directing that is firmly being developed. Of yeah. the of the movies you've seen of his, do you think this is your favorite? Honestly, it's been a while since I've seen the other two. So I, I, I remember what happens on them, but it's been at least five years since I've seen um, uh, Sacred Deer and Lobster. Dogtooth I saw in like 2010, so that one's even worse. Um, but I usually don't like rewatching movies, and I, I kind of want to rewatch this because of all those elements that we've talked about. Uh, there's so much happening visually that I'm sure I missed some cues and some things, and now that I know what happens, uh, I'm interested in just rewatching just to catch details that I'm sure uh, missed. I think Killing of a Sacred Deer is my favorite because Colin Farrell looks like Mike Redbar. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's when he plays a doctor, right? Yes. Uh, I think yeah, that one's yeah, probably yeah. the funniest, and it's also the darkest that I've seen of his movies, since it ends in a particularly grim fashion. It's very Sophie's Choice, the whole movie. And Barry Keoghan, yeah. that might be Barry Keoghan's best performance. By the way, have you gotten around to seeing Saltburn yet? No, but I'm going to have to because of the show that we're recording on Saturday, right? Yes, we're going to go do Angie and Jake's live show on YouTube on Sunday. So be sure to check that out. We, there, yep, there he is. There's Mike. <laughs> so look forward to that. Um, and I, I think it's a live show. I don't know. Oh, is it? I'm Maybe. Sure. It could be. Might be. Maybe it's just a rebroadcast. Because YouTube still has that premiere feature even though it doesn't offer any of the benefits. If we were to premiere this episode on YouTube, it would get 120th of the viewership that a live show of ours would get. That's a fact. I've seen the numbers. Can you, can you stream an episode live? As in, so like we record this, and then I live stream the episode, not the premiere. It's a live stream. Yeah. Yeah, we could is do that. that. Yeah, yeah, okay, that we, is allowed. We, just, we could do that. Just, but here, here's the problem. I think the playback would create a latency issue, and it wouldn't be so smooth. It would be a little janky, and then someone would get suspicious. They'd be like, hey, how come the audio's a little funny? Hey, how come yeah. Hans is frozen for three minutes? How come it's very <laughs> pixelated? And then they would realize they can't interact with us in real time. Yeah. Why are we we'll here? See you later. Pretending. Yeah. Yeah. I just sent a yeah. $200 super chat. You're not reading it. You just, you didn't even acknowledge it. Why would I ever do this again? So there are those types of problems. You'd have to be real sneaky if you're going to do that. So yeah. wow. we'd have to like acknowledge, we? we could acknowledge fake super chats during the show. Like, ah, Gene Zayas says, <laughs> I loved Marley and me. Yeah, that's a great yeah. one, Gene. Oh, Gene says is back. He's saying VHS 84 is the best VHS there is. Hey, isn't Godzilla cool? I, I can't <laughs> even say I, I fucking love Godzilla. Uh, but yeah, uh, 
should we announce that we already have a, a taper? Yeah, we should have. I, I, I already recorded something while I was waiting for you to hop on Zoom okay. that is going to be a pre-roll. But we do have a brand new tier that we launched. We talked about this on the last episode or the episode before. $100. You pay $100 on patreon.com slash lowres, and you will get to decide a film we cover for the show. It can be a film that we've talked about before. It can be a brand new film. It can be a film that is 10 minutes long. It can be a film that is, you know, I reference Shoah. You could, you could have us watch Shoah. Well, that's a, that's a series, right? <laughs> no, no, that's a movie. <laughs> they broke that up into a series to make it more digestible for the casual viewer. But no, it was released as a movie. Was that released in theaters? Did you sit there mm -hmm. for eight hours watching yep. Jewish people suffer? That sounds yes. great. They've they've done that before. Uh, where you know, I think Berlin Alexander Plotz was technically a series, but they released it in theaters two episodes a night over a week, and you'd have to watch it that way. So you got to make mm -hmm. a real commitment if you're going to watch a television series miniseries in the theater but Shoah was released as a, as a straight ahead movie and it probably had an intermission or two or maybe they did it that way where it was broken up and like hey here's four hours tonight four hours tomorrow night they did that here with uh the lord of the rings extended versions they played them in the theater and it was back to back and i have a friend that went to see that so he spent like i don't know 15 hours in the theater and that sounds like the worst way of watching a movie <laughs> They're long enough already to begin with, and then the three of them back to back just sounds like torture. No, you that's that's a day at home, maybe while yeah. you're working in yeah. your pajamas. That's not a time out at the theater. God, that 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 sounds rough. I mean, I know a lot of the theaters in the United States in the lead up to Avengers: Infinity War or Endgame, they did were playing all the Marvel movies this week non-stop it's a marathon and it ends with whatever that final avengers movie was and so people did do that people watch something like 20 movies in the theater over consecutive days to get to that avengers movie which imagine the smell in the theater could you just think of the stench of that theater afterwards yeah just farts and yeah it would be fingers. it would be a mexican family sitting there for three days in a row, eating nothing but popcorn and ices and Coca-Cola. Cheetos. We nachos, Cheetos. theater nachos. Yeah, they just introduced Doritos nachos at the theater that I go to. And uh, even that's too much. Why? Why the yeah. extra flavor? You're just going to contaminate it, ruin it. They did uh, Takis tacos here in Taco Bell, but it's so oh, lazy. No. It's so lazy because all they do is... It's it's like a burrito, and then just throw like five takis in, and that's it. Or a taco, and they have like five. Do you takis eat takis, so, Hans? I I do sometimes. Yeah. Oh no, I have such a I low know. opinion of people who eat takis. <laughs> I don't. I really. It, it's like I, you know, and this isn't me making fun of you. It to me, yeah. I see takis, and it's just like the low class snack. Oh yeah, yeah. You know? Well, there, not here. It's kind of expensive. Okay, yeah, maybe. To... All right, in Costa Rica, clearly, it's a different story. Yeah. You know, you yeah. you were buying up like Funyuns, like it was fucking filet mignon, you know. Yeah, so well, we don't get that. And if we get them here, the bag is like ten bucks. I was like, I'm not gonna spend ten dollars on a bag of Funyuns. I don't like them that much. We have like a, it's a different version of of hot Cheetos that we get here because it's not the real one. They changed the flavor slightly. Uh, but whenever my uh, girlfriend's mom comes from the state, uh, she always brings us a bunch of bags of hot cheetos from the states They're of course ones. why wouldn't she why players. wouldn't she yeah. <laughs> she clearly knows you well enough so but, but i agree with you that's like yeah it's like stereotypically yeah not, it's bad not i i get recommended all these videos on facebook of like it's usually like a 22 year old guy and he'll hold up a bag of takis and a bag of blue takis and yeah. he'll eat them both at the same time but i noticed i watched like three of these guys videos in a row there's no pain in his eyes at the end of the video. And so what I realized what he's doing is he's just biting them and then he spits it out and cuts. Yeah. He's not actually consuming any of the shit that he buys and does in the video. And his name yeah, is, those... he, he always ends the video with no reaction. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, that's like, familiar. yeah, it's because you're not eating you're the shit. Cutting you're fucking them. cheating. Yeah. Yeah. So. We had, uh, uh, those blue tackies introduced in December here, I think. And, uh, uh, my stomach did not enjoy those. Of course not. It's not <laughs> meant to be consumed. It's bad. Here's the guy. This yeah. is the, if you know this face, say something bad to him. I did oh. find this comment right underneath this video to be quite humorous. It's from a man named James Legard, probably one of the shittiest content creators because he's just fucking, he was eating jelly Listerine. He made it jelly with, with like caro syrup or something. I don't know really bad stuff facebook is truly the ghetto in terms of any of that type of video content uh, you go on instagram you'll get a cute polar bear video you'll get somebody doing something yeah. stupid you know it'll be it'll probably be a little bit better than what you might find on TikTok. but facebook is truly the gutter you're reaching the depths of humanity when you go on facebook and watch the facebook reels you know what gets millions of views in Latin America? And I, and I know I say Latin America because we don't only get Costa Rican videos. There's a lot of like Colombian and, and Mexican videos. Um, the the headings? No, I wish. Uh, the fake. Um, look at this poor person on this street. I'm going to go help them. And I'm going to give them $100. I, I'm going to give yeah. them a new haircut. And it turns out it's just like a yeah. guy who's a model who had a bit of a. Yeah, beard. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I mean, it's like. Yeah, it's okay. Oh, don't worry. Um, it's because God that I give you this hundred bucks. Like they just <laughs> saved their lives with fucking a hundred or twenty dollars, and it's just like, all right. And then you see the comments. And there's just a bunch of aunts and uncles being like, "Oh, my heart. Oh, I love this. Oh, she looks so happy." And it's like, mm-hmm. you're spending twenty dollars on a video that's getting millions of views. Either those or like the fake uh, relationship drama. That is like, oh, can you believe that she said this? And can you believe that her friend or whatever? And it's all horribly acted and it's obviously set up. But this, let me tell you, this Latin American boomers fucking fall hook, line, and sinker for all that bullshit. And it's just thousands and thousands of comments being like, can you believe that she said that? It's like, it's she's on the next video with him. They're yeah. like boyfriend and girlfriend. Like, this is not a stranger. And it's just not, it's, I, I American content, like what? from 2014 with like fussy tube and all those fake pranks type of thing that's that's what it's going yeah there's an eight-year delay apparently and whatever the trend yeah. of videos is I, i'll get you know my mom has started watching tiktoks and i will get random videos from her like i heard michelle obama is going to be the next president how does this happen i like that's not uh, here's what would need to happen. He ne- uh, Joe Biden would need to fire Kamala and say, Michelle, you're the new VP, and she'd have to say yes, and then he would have to resign. That's the only way that happens. That's not happening. Yeah. There's not. There's too little time between now and the. It's not happening. Just stop. Get off TikTok. Also, he also can't say all that in one sentence. No, as we've seen recently, and not so recently, but they yeah. would need to do a deep fake of him resigning. I think at this point. It's very sad what this situation is with Joe Biden. Um, Anyway, we're not getting into politics on this show. So poor things. It's a quality feature. It's it's very enjoyable. One of the best films of 2023, but it's not in my top 10. I put it at number 11, right ahead of the Kane Mutiny Court Martial. That's where I got it. Okay. Yeah, there's definitely one that I will be revisiting, and that doesn't happen a lot, so... That's the that's the biggest compliment I can give it, I guess, because I I usually take years before I rewatch anything. But I'm I'm really interested in seeing these at home in my underwear, uh, so that I don't have to be next to people that won't shut up. Uh, maybe if you were also, in your underwear, they wouldn't have sat next to you in the theater. Maybe that's what I should do. Yeah, good point. If they let me in, <laughs> just walking around in my boxers there. Well, no, you take no them way. off once you're in the dark. Then nobody knows. Then you pull on a Pee Wee Herman, and that'll be great yeah. publicity for this show. Yeah, Mass State Lottery. We'll do a PR stunt. I'll call the police. What's the Costa Rican equivalent to 911? Oh, it's the same. 911? Yeah. yeah. In the UK, it's what, 999? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I don't like that one as much. Well, I'll call 911 and say, hey, there's a pedophile in the theater. He's naked. And then uh, yeah. we'll have you arrested. And they'll be like, ¿Qué? Español. <laughs> ¿Quién está llamando? No entiendo. Well, yeah. No, you can't. 
You would have okay. to use the Google Voice and just do that with Google Voice in Spanish. Google Voice. Yeah. yeah. Or whatever translate. All translation. Right. Okay. I'll just write them a letter. Hey, there's a pervert in the this theater day. with his pants down. They'll just Yeah, they'll English. get it like eight months later. Because <laughs> <laughs> international ship shipping is horrendous here. It's so yes. bad. That's why I have to get shit sent to, to my mailbox in Florida, because otherwise I would never get it. Anything that I buy in the States. Remarkable. Have you yeah. been watching anything new lately or getting into any directors specifically since the year has I, started? No, but uh, let me tell you what I started rewatching. Uh, Strangers with Candy. Have you ever... Oh, yeah, I don't know. I've seen Strangers with Candy. It's been about 20 years, though. Is that why you called yeah. this movie Strange Things? You, that, Hans, you know messaged me, Hans messaged me saying, hey, I'm watching Strange Things. Why don't we do a show on this? I said, you, what, Stranger yeah. Things? Are you watching that? You I said, thought we caught the most recent season and did a show on it already. Yeah, and you sent me a, a link to like a documentary about... Some it was like thing. black homelessness know. and it was called strange <laughs> things it was like you're watching is this yeah. the right movie i just need to download it yeah no okay it's because i think i think that's the translation in spanish and the posters here were in spanish so i was like it didn't sound right and then i i told my girlfriend she was like what and this poor thing and i was like oh well no wonder he sent me this <laughs> homeless african people <laughs> documentary it's like, yeah, that's what I'm doing on my Sunday, just enjoying a documentary about the black homelessness and like Ubuntu or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, no, I don't think you got into what you've been watching though. Oh, oh no, just I, I, I wanted to rewatch. I never finished it, uh, which seems to happen a lot with me in series when they're not dramatic that I just don't finish them. Uh, happened with the Nathan for you episode that we did with monkey Jones, where he mentioned something that I have not seen. Uh, and with stranger with strangers with candy, I think I might have seen maybe one or two seasons and, uh, someone posted a clip of, uh, of the show the other day. And I was like, Oh, remember when Stephen Colbert was likable and, uh, the show does have a lot of very non 2024 humor, a lot of, very rough jokes and the the setup is kind of insane if you really think about you know 40 what, like a 45 year old woman going back to high school playing undercover cop but then she's like trying to flirt with like 17 and 16 years old and no well, one thinks it, it's weird it's satirizing yeah. 21 jump street and yeah never been kissed but never been kissed was i think a journalist who becomes a teacher or Maybe she was a student. I don't know. There, the nineties the yeah, was full of that premise with yeah. Billy Madison, and you know they, they they really got hung up on that that element. Jack wasn't Jack something like that too? The Robin no, Williams Jack thing? was he was rapidly aging, so it was kind of more like poor oh. things, but he physically developed faster. He was just a, yeah, a big child. Um, but yeah, just that. Honestly, uh, there's some movies that I'm. I'm gonna have to check out. Well, that I want to check out from that episode that I don't know if you teased or not that we're doing on the Warner. The oh yeah, no. The the, the next episode we're gonna do is gonna be focused on. So the the Brattle Theater right at the end of 2023 and in early 2024, they release their calendars of. And the Brattle Theater is a revival theater. They'll release their calendars of everything that they're playing throughout the next month and a half. And they decided to run with a theme, which was Warner Brothers in the 1980s. And I thought that would be a great topic for this show, is getting into some of the best Warner Brothers films of the 1980s, because there are tons and tons of blockbusters. And I feel like no other studio really set the tone for what a late 20th century blockbuster film was than Warner Brothers. 80s Warner Brothers was completely on fire. Then you look at the 90s, 90s you it falls apart quite a bit late 90s especially 97 the most uh, climactic year for warner brothers with so many bombs steel batman and robin you know uh, i think wild wild west might have been developed during that time and dropped in 98 or 99 terrible terrible movies in the late 90s at warner brothers 
Yeah, so look forward to us talking about movies like Police Academy 6, City Under Siege, or Hair Alibi, starring Magnum P.I., this actor whose name I can't remember. Tom Selleck. Or Tom Selleck, yeah. Or Tequila Sunrise. Um, Damn, that movie was a disappointment, Tequila Sunrise. They had Mel Gibson and Kurt Russell, and who's the, yeah. the woman in there? Susan Sarandon or somebody? Gina Davis? It was somebody like Michelle that. Pfeiffer. And Michelle Pfeiffer. That's a great lineup. That movie was boring. That movie was not memorable. So and you got hot hot to trot with Bobcut Goldthwait. That, that the that horse movie? Cool. Didn't we watch that no, with Jerry? Yeah. Uh, we might have. Yeah, I think we did. Either that or or Shakes the Clown, which is not Warner, I don't think, right? No. No, okay. Bobcat. Although or... maybe it could be Bobcat was a staple at Warner Brothers for that period because he was in all the Police Academy movies. Yeah, they scooped him up. The... Let me see. Shakes the Clown is, um, I what IRS Media. <laughs> okay, that's just a nobody company. And then that movie was probably acquired yeah. by Good Times Home Video. So. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of movies. There's a lot of movies for that. We're going to be doing a couple of theme shows. I'm thinking we should do a 2008 show. Because I, I was thinking a lot of people have been concentrating on the year 1999. There's a whole book dedicated to the films released in 1999. That it was the last big blockbuster year for movies. And I don't think that's the case. I think 2008 is a great example of a year full of, chock full of amazing blockbuster films like i i don't think i've ever been to the theater as many times before or since as the year 2008 i saw so many movies in theaters that year and repeatedly even I saw tropic thunder like three times dark night yeah. about four times wrestler was that year slumdog millionaire uh, yeah even the oscar bait movies of that year were terrific and a cut above anything that would come after Russ Nixon. Well, ben I don't. Ben I didn't ben. see that one. That one seemed kind of boring. <laughs> In Bruges was that year. Uh, w. Do you watch W? Uh, Role models. No, I didn't see W. Hamlet two. That's another banger. The Great Hamlet two. Uh, the boy in this trip pajama. That was two thousand eight. Wow. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Appaloosa. Remember Appaloosa with Ed Harris and Viggo Mortensen? Nope. No one does. Yep. <laughs> it's a cowboy movie directed by Ed Harris that I don't think anyone talks about. Enough. Diary of the Dead was that year. Yeah, I saw um, that in the theater. That was a big old disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. That Vicky Cristina Barcelona movie from Woody Cloverfield. Allen. Baby Mama. With Tina, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Wow. Yeah. That's where the Africanization of culture began. The Choke, Rock and Roller. Have you ever seen Rock and Roller? That movie's fun. I might have I mean, seen it. Choke, it. the Sam Rockwell movie based on a Chuck Palahniuk yeah. novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That was 2008. The Hammer, starring Adam Carolla. Oh, yeah, he's a boxer yeah. in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's before... he looks worse than he looks like now. Yeah, that's before Daily Wire gave him a home. So he was kind of poor. You know, he was trying to get on Celebrity Apprentice during that time. He was figuring out what his career move was going to be because the Adam Carolla podcast, even though it was big, it was waning at that time. It was starting to come down, and Mark Maron was becoming the go-to guy for podcasts. Uh, Pineapple Grand Torino, Pineapple Express, for, mm -hmm. Star, for comedies also. It's a Forgetting Star Marshall... Yeah, no, it was a, it was a strong year for comedies, especially for that Apatow crew of comedians, because that, that only really started in 2005 with the 40 year old virgin. Mm -hmm. And then 2006 was. Was 2006? No, 2007 was super bad and knocked up. That was another great year. Then you have 2008 Pineapple Express role models for getting Sarah Marshall. And I think there was something else. There might have been another one, too. Uh, second mayor, make a porno. Yeah, I guess that was kind of adjacent due to having Seth Rogen yeah. and Craig Robinson and Elizabeth, what's her name, Banks. Yeah. So. Uh, that's it. That's, yeah. 
Yeah, let's do it. 2008. All There's right. a lot of here that I would like to rewatch. So I'm down. Okay, we'll set that then for. So, okay, here's what our calendar is looking like. We're going to get into the Warner Brothers blockbusters of the 1980s on the next episode. That will tentatively have Detective Wolfman as our guest who will be joining us. Then, immediately following that, we will be recording an episode because we did have somebody already sign up for that $100 tier and they picked a feature film, which we will announce later. I think maybe we just do it the episode of. We don't say anything. So okay. we'll, we'll cover that show, and then we will get around to doing the year 2008 in movies. Maybe the best year of the 21st century for movies. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yet to be determined. There's still about, what, 76 years left to go, and then we'll know for, for certain, for sure. <laughs> Hans so will far, be dead. Yeah. Uh, I'll I mean, be You'll be dead, too. What's no, I'll be, I think I'll be there at 110 yeah you're no. gonna be uh, kept alive like willem dafoe in poor things god i hope burping so. burping a bubble of something after you eat that was funny yep that was a funny bit yeah that got a lot of laughter in my theater a lot of the movie got plenty of laughter in in the audience in the crowd so go check out poor things i think yeah. we're gonna wrap up the show on that note and we'll see you for the Next episode, any parting words or any plugs you want to give before we wrap things up? Uh, um, Patreon.com slash Loris. That's it, right? Yeah. $5 tier gets yeah. you every single episode in video form, bonus episodes, and plenty more. $100 tier, you get to pick a movie we will talk about for the show. So that has been Movies for this week. Thank you for listening.